You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. They say that life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. But I believe that life is a series of sprints and of walks, of jogs, of speed walking, of rollerblading, all right? I wanted to rollerblade so bad when I was a kid, but we were broke, so, you know, we never got that opportunity. But I did have the one-size-fits-all skates. Shout out to all the people who knows what those are. They, they can adjust for your feet, but my feet was still too big. But anyways, right now, I'm in the middle of a sprint, and at no other time in my life has so much stuff come together at one time for me to address and everything's kind of needing some part of my attention. And I'm a big believer that there's no such thing as work-life balance. There's just integration and there's flowing with these different things. And sometimes different things are gonna have more of your attention at different spots. And we're all doing the best that we can. But through this little sprint right here, not only did I move my family to another state, but within the last five weeks, we have my wedding anniversary of 12 years. We have my youngest son, Brayden's birthday, my oldest son, Jordan's birthday, my birthday, and kids starting back to school. My youngest son is starting second grade and my oldest son is starting college and football right now. So it's just been a lot, not to mention all of the focus and responsibility with the Model Health Show. And I've just been really, really dedicated to taking things to another level. And so that's why I'm really excited about my guest today because today we're talking about one of the things that we're really known for, health and fitness. And uh, he's somebody who's been just a really big inspiration for me personally. I've got him here in the studio. I'm going to get to him in a minute. But listen, with this sprint and all the stress on my mind, I need a little bit of nutritional support. All right. So for me personally, I really love and the, the great thing about this, and this was in PLOS One is a new study just came out. Turmeric and the active ingredient in there, curcumin, has been found to be one of those handful of things found to actually stimulate the creation of new brain cells, right? So neurogenesis, and also it was found to increase brain plasticity, all right? How powerful is that? I need some new neurons right now. And so for me, I turn to Organifi. They use a supercritical extract for their turmeric formula, and also their gold formula is delicious as well. And so in the gold formula, first of all, it tastes amazing. And I like the gold with a smoothie or with almond milk, but you can add it to hot water. A lot of people do it before bedtime because of the calmative effects. It also has some reishi in there, which is found to improve your sleep quality, increase your uh, improved sleep latency. So it means you fall asleep faster and also improve your deep sleep and REM sleep as well. And so that formula is something that I love and I use all the time as well. But the big thing about it, again, it's, it's organic, it tastes good, and it's easy to use. And so they've got the uh, daily turmeric product, which is a super critical extract of turmeric, or the gold formula, which you can add to your different beverages. So either one, give it a try if you're not using it already. So many people that use the gold absolutely love it. They tell me that they sleep better, they have more energy through the day. And of course, those things that we've been talking about, helping to reduce inflammation, as well as what turmeric is really known for. So pop over there, check them out. It's Organifi.com forward slash model. You get 20% off everything that they carry. All right, so that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash model. 20% off everything that they carry. Get you some new brain cells. 
Holler at Canify. Check them out. And now let's get to our Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Love Your Story by CUSA. You're honest and you have an amazing story. Thank you for sharing your past experiences. I can relate to you. It's reassuring and I will share your podcast with everyone I know. Keep it coming. I'm listening, learning, and appreciate your honesty. Awesome. Thank you so much for leaving that review over on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate it so much. And thank you for allowing me to be a part of your life. It means the world to me. And listen, if you've yet to do so, please pop over to Apple Podcasts, leave a review for the show. And just no matter what platform you're on, leave a review. And if you're watching this on YouTube and hanging out in the studio with us, make sure to leave a comment and let me know what you think about the episode. And me and my guests will definitely pop in and reply to you. And speaking of which, let's get to our special guest and our topic of the day. Our guest today is Dr. Jay Tita, and he's an integrative physician and one of the foremost voices out there in real health and nutrition. And again, he's been inspiring me for a long time. He's the author, co-author, along with his brother. They've got a family of doctors. <laughs> and Jillian's been on the show. We've got to get your brother on at some yeah. point, too. Jillian Tita's been on the show several times, one of our all-time favorite guests. And the two books are The Metabolic Effect and Lose Weight Here. Two awesome books. Highly recommend you add those to your library chock full of some powerful stuff. And he's also the co-founder of Metabolic Effect, which is a health and wellness company that provides a lot of different services and resources. So you can check them out and just head over to jtita.com and get all of the information, his social media. Definitely follow him because he's always dropping knowledge bombs. He's back on the Model Health Show. My man, Dr. Tita. Good to see you, man. Welcome to sunny California. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Good to be here, man. Good to be here. We're just talking about Seattle, which I'm going up in just a couple of weeks. This will probably be out that week that I'm up there. Yeah. Um, But if so happens, I'm going to be up there for the Vigor Fitness Summit. And I think it's right around the... 13th is when I'm going to be speaking in September. Uh, so just big shout out to them. But you were up there going to school. Yeah, six, six years in Seattle. I was Kirkland Bellevue area. Yeah. Um, and um, I loved it. I loved it. But as we were talking about, it it rains a lot. It's it's what you hear. So yeah. I'm glad to be in Southern California. I'm glad you're, you're with me now. Yeah, it's so crazy. The people like, well, you're going to miss the seasons. You're going to miss the change. <laughs> really? Do yeah. you, have you missed the seasons? No. Okay. <laughs> I like the one season, just spring all the time. <laughs> yeah, facts. And what's so crazy to me is that where I'm at, I just drove just a little over 20 minutes, and it's a 20-degree difference. Oh, it's huge. The yeah, the valley to, to this side is yeah. a big difference. Nuts, man. So it's all just getting readjusted, man. Yeah. And uh, this is actually leading to me one of the things I want to talk to you about. And it was kind of a great framework that you gave was based on you were traveling, taking a car trip from here to North Carolina. Yeah. And so you do that, do you do that every year? Pretty much every year, multiple times actually. You know, so it's, I usually twice a year I make the trip back and forth. And so you shared a story about metabolic gridlock mm-hmm. to kind of demonstrate a point about how our metabolism can kind of get gummed up. So can yeah. you share that analogy of yeah. when you got in your car and you had to pee? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's it's basically like this. Look, our metabolism is exposed to lots of different things, and it likes to have a clear path. It is it's kind of adaptive and reactive. So, you know, you drove across, you know, from the valley over here, right? And you were using Waze. And Waze was essentially saying, because you were telling me, oh, I got Waze, the Waze app gets me where I want to go. Well, your metabolism likes 
to adjust and adapt that way, right? Yeah. So it says, there's an angle I can go. There's an angle I can go. Oh, Sean's feeding me this. I'll use that fuel. Oh, Sean's eating this way. Jade's doing or working out this way. I'll adjust to that. That's how our metabolism likes to function. Now, when we start feeding it the same things every single day and doing the same behaviors every single day, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, we start to create problems in our metabolism, especially if we're doing the standard American overeating. Yeah. And so this happens, you can kind of think about this, imagine all these fuel sources coming into your system. You got carbohydrate from, let's say you eat a pizza or something like that. You got fat, you got carbohydrate, you got adjuvants, these sort of irritants to the gut lining in tomato. You got gluten if you're sensitive to that as well. And your mitochondria and your gut has to handle all of this stuff and yeah. all of this information. And you essentially begin to create what I like to call metabolic smoke, so to speak, in these mitochondria, these little energy factories in your cell that then begin to damage their selves. And so what ends up happening is if you can imagine, um, it's just like if you're driving down the, the, the highway and you're constantly slamming on your brakes, right? Or you're in park and you're revving your engine in idle all the time. You may not necessarily be moving, but you're doing damage to that system. Mm -hmm. And that's what all this stuff is essentially doing to our metabolism. And the gridlock sort of way of thinking about this is literally when we are on a diet, let's say, or we try to do something. When we first go on a diet, it works, right? I remember the first time I did it, it was like 19 years old. I was like, hey, I want to do a bodybuilding show. I got super lean, super fast. But what happens is when I repeat that again and again, yeah. um, I end up getting less of a response. So it's not just the overeating aspect, but it's also, and this is the part, it's also the undereating and overstressing aspect. Either one of those extremes causes this kind of metabolic gridlock. And so we have to be very aware. And the, the end sort of thing to this for me, Sean, just to kind of drive it home for people, the one message is that we have to be flexible with our metabolism because it is an adaptive reactive system. Yeah. And so we cannot keep doing the same thing over and over again either on the one side where we're overeating constantly or on the other side where we're undereating and overexercising constantly, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, man. Guys, so you already see why I love having you on here, man, talking <laughs> to you. It just makes so much sense, but also, so with that metabolic flexibility, just to kind of dig in a little bit deeper, this is also um, considering the fact that your body can use a lot of different types of fuel source, yep. right? So, but we commonly just think of those main three macronutrients. Yeah. But there's all there's more, yeah. right? Alcohol is one, for example. Yeah, yeah. It, it's all these things go down to a sort of a common endpoint, right? So it's sort of like when you dump these, if you dump carbs into your system, fat into your system, alcohol into your system, they all come to acetyl CoA, and then that the amount of that acetyl CoA is a signal to your metabolism. I've got enough fuel or not. And so to make this simple with alcohol, let's say it's not that it is a um, it's not a fat storing sort of macronutrient, so to speak, and it's not technically a macronutrient, but it is a uh, fat inhibiting. It inhibits fat burning because okay. when you drink alcohol, you basically have a very quick uh, sort of breakdown to acetyl-CoA, and the body sees that and goes, I don't need to burn sugar. I don't need to burn fat. I've got plenty from alcohol, and it will use that source of energy. And that's the first thing to understand about metabolic flexibility. What you give your body, it will learn 
to burn. So if you're eating mostly carbohydrates, it revs up all those enzyme systems to burn carbohydrates. You become a sugar burner as a result. If you're eating mostly fat, the body revs up all those enzyme systems to begin to burn mostly fat. If you're doing lots of, of the mix, this is where the gridlock begins to happen. As soon as you dump carbohydrates on top of fat, on top of alcohol, on top of protein, the body is not a good multitasker. It's kind of the biochemical equivalent of rubbing your head and tapping your tummy, or what is it, rubbing yeah. your tummy or tapping Either your one. head. <laughs> Either one. So that's what we have to kind of keep in mind. Yeah. What we eat, we can train our body to burn, but when we overload it with lots of things all at once, this becomes a problem. There's a, there's a really uh, interesting science behind this at the level of the mitochondria that essentially says those mitochondria do much better when they have a straight path to energy. Carbohydrate, right down to the mitochondria. Fat, right down to the mitochondria. It's sort of like a funnel. So we all know what it's like. If you start dumping a lot of water into a funnel very quickly, it will eventually overflow. And so this is where some of the new stuff about maybe some intermittent fasting or small frequent meals, both work, by the way. But this large frequent meal mentality or one continuous meal right. mentality that we yeah. currently have going on with a lot of people is the major problem. And just real quick, so everyone sort of knows, carbohydrate for the body, it's kind of like jet fuel. It's very quick energy. It likes to use that, like when me, if you and I hit the gym together and we do some high intensity interval training or CrossFit, it's gonna grab that energy system. Uh, fat is sort of like diesel fuel. Alcohol is kind of in between the two of them. It can use that as energy, but it doesn't give us any nutrients as a result of that. And protein to me is sort of like the, uh, the more like the infrastructure of the car. It can use protein to go to fat or uh, you know carbohydrates, so it's kind of like a flex fuel, but it likes to leave that for sort of muscle development. Yeah. So the rule here then, if the, if the first rule is you know sort of the metabolism is adaptable and reactive, and we need to be aware of that, then the second rule is it's also not a good multitasker. And so for the vast majority of us, we have to be very clear on not overloading it with lots of stuff um, and lots of different macronutrients all at the same time. Yeah. And I think this explains a lot about the stuff that you and I uh, tend to read about and, and you know geek out about the keto diet. Yeah. Think about that diet. It's a one macronutrient diet. It's also interesting, it's a one flavor diet too, which yeah. kind of brings uh, a whole other sort of aspect to this. One flavor tends to shut down some of the brain's sort of desire for craving other foods. There was a, I don't know if you heard, have you ever heard the Shangri-La diet and the studies about the, did we ever cover this? I'll, I'll cover no, it really quickly for the know. listeners because I think they might be interesting. So one of the things about um, uh, our brains when we tend to overeat is we will, if we get lots of different flavors, the brain will begin pinging and want those flavors. Like, so we know what that's like, right? If we do, if we're eating very clean and then we go get burgers and French fries, the next day we want cheesecake and more burgers and more French fries and more pizza, Right. Well, this one experiment, what they did is they took essentially cream of wheat, put it in a thermos, right, covered it up and said, eat as much of that as you want. So we all know cream of wheat or cream of rice is very bland. And they said, you can eat as much as you want, but you only get this one texture and this one flavor. And so what ended up happening is they started to see that these people's hunger shut off. Right. They ate till fullness, but then now they were only consuming 800, 1,000 calories because of this one 
flavor right. approach. Part of the reason that the keto diet may be working as well is because it's also a one flavor and one texture diet. It's a very creamy diet and it's a very umami flavor or savory flavored diet. It's also, I think, one of the reasons why when you start seeing people putting a bunch of stevia and sweeteners into their keto diet, they don't get the results as much as the people who are sticking to those one flavors. So this is another aspect of metabolic flexibility. One is be adaptable, change your approach. Two is realize that your body's not a good multitasker and you want to sort of also understand that the brain, when it gets lots of different flavors, is going to continue to crave. And so we can begin to shut that off, if that makes sense. Yeah. There's so much to unpack there. I want to start. Lot. I want to start at the end when you just mentioned the sweeteners. Yep. You know, and I just came across a study last week that, and this is just something that's been seen consistently, is that artificial sweeteners actually trigger insulin release. Mm -hmm. Right. Surprise, surprise. So even though there's no calories along with the sweeteners, still triggering triggering this process. Yeah. And so the the jury's kind of out still on these natural non-caloric sweeteners as well. Yeah. And it just, for me, it's just logical. Like we still need to be a little bit easy with that because it's still telling your body a uh, mixed message. Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, the cephalic phase insulin response is, is the term for those of you who wanna sort of geek out on this. And essentially when that, it's a neurolingual sort of connection. So you know, the, the tongue touches that sweet, sends a signal to the brain that says, expect sugar. The brain goes, okay. and for some people, and it's probably like most things that you and I talk about, it's probably some individualization that goes on here. Some people will release, release an awful lot of insulin. That insulin will then lower blood sugar. The brain then goes, oh, we got low blood sugar. We better crave some more foods. And so it can lead to sort of overeating. And so this thermostat nature of the metabolism is important. And I would say, um, for me, this would include things like stevia, which is a high force sweetener. It's a natural sweetener, um, but it's still high force. That's the one thing that, you know, Splenda and Asulfame and Sucralose and all these, you know, Splenda, Sucralose, Asulfame and Aspartame uh, would be equal. Um, that's the one thing they all have in common. They're hundreds of times sweeter than sugar. Stevia may be having this same role, but you and I, I think, talked about this several times. To me, I go, um, if you look at the research, right, and you say, well, are they associated with weight gain or weight loss? Well, they're associated with weight gain, partly because overweight people will use these sweeteners. Um, however, when you look at controlled diets where people actually put these things in place, they do help people have a lower calorie diet and result in randomized control trials result in weight loss. However, clinically, I see that they can be helpful for some and hurtful for the majority, in my opinion. And I'm more natural medicine biased, obviously, so that's a little bit of my bias, but that's that particular story. And again, it goes back to this idea that the metabolism is, um, it's a thermostat. It is not, you know, sort of this uh, static system that is just calorie sort of measuring. It is measuring based on what it tastes, temperature that it feels, how well we're sleeping, all of these things. And to a very high degree, the macronutrient mix that we're eating as well. Yeah, absolutely. And this just got me thinking about, I saw somebody making a recipe, this was a while back, and instead of using sugar, they were using like a cup of xylitol or something. Mm -hmm. and I'm just like, is that, that <laughs> it looks familiar, you know? It's yeah. like, it's kind of the same thing. And not to disrespect or to, you know, especially if it's working for you, but yep. we just have to keep this stuff in context yeah. because it's still, we're getting out of the realm of food, you yeah. know, of real food and that, 
complex information that it gives your body versus these kind of this little bit of trickery. Yeah, I, I love what you're saying because it, it's hard for me too, and I do it as well. But we, you know, essentially the paleo diet, the keto diet, all these things, and then you say, well, here's a keto cupcake, and it's got like these high four sweeteners in it. It's got stevia in it, or it's got xylitol in it, it's got erythritol in it. That really is kind of a different thing. And it may work just fine for some people, but I would say for the listeners, you know, who are experimenting with these things, it may actually be the thing that's slowing the process down. And this this sort of brings me to um, I don't think you and I have talked about this before, but we we have been speculating about this idea of sort of intermittent dieting. This idea that you spend some time dieting and then you spend some time sort of recovering from that diet, in a sense. And I've been doing this in my clinic for a very long time. So I think last time you and I spoke, we talked about the idea that you have these different metabolic toggles. You can eat less and exercise less, or you can eat more and exercise more. And you can eat less and exercise more, which is the dieter. And you can eat more and exercise less, which is the couch potato. And really, we want to be grabbing all these sort of different sort of um, toggles. But we now have a study that actually tells us that this is actually the best way to go about this. It was released uh, earlier last year called the Matador Study. And I forget what Matador stands for, but it essentially was looking at um, overcoming metabolic adaptation. So this idea that we hit plateaus and that we regain our weight, we know that happens in 95% of dieters and two-thirds get back even fatter. So this study was trying to be like, how do we, you know, sort of, uh, control that. And so the Matador study essentially showed that they took two groups of individuals. One group, they said, you know, we're going to put you on a standard, you know, 30% calorie reduction diet for 16 weeks. The other group, they said, we're going to do that diet for two weeks and then give you two weeks off. And then we're going to do it again for two weeks and then two weeks off. And they compared these two groups. Now, just so everyone's clear on this, because it can get a little bit sort of tricky when you look at science, 16 weeks straight of dieting, and then basically 16 weeks interspersed with two-week breaks. So one program lasted, what would that be, 32 weeks? And one program lasted 16 weeks. However, both programs had an equal 16-week period of calorie reduction. One just had these little breaks in it. What you saw in the weight loss was that it was significantly different, about 15 pounds more in the group who uh, you know, essentially did this intermittent approach. But what I thought was beautiful is you and I know, okay, you can lose weight, but can you keep it off? Yeah. What happened was about half as much regain. So this is a beautiful response and speaks to what you and I are talking about, about metabolic adaptation. You want to push your metabolism to a point and then you want to sort of back off and then you want to push again and then you want to sort of back off. So when to bring this full circle, when you're using things like high force sweeteners and things like that, I would say that when you're in your losing phase, you probably want to stay as pure as you're saying, Sean, as you can. Limit those things. Use whole foods. Don't use a lot of these sweeteners. Don't, you know, these paleo recipes and things like that. But then come back when you're on these off times then use those things. Then get a little bit more tasty with your nutrition. Don't make the mistake of going back, you know, uh, you know, adding extra calories. But that's when they're appropriate. I think that most people who aren't getting the results that they want are slowly but surely adding these kind of things in and this taste effect, and it starts pinging the brain, and they end up overeating um, and or creating plateaus for themselves. So I think that's the rule that we want to be looking about. Metabolic flexibility is in itself, too, about 
taking some time off. And one more thing I'll say, and then I'll shut up here, but when you take time off, what is gonna happen is that you will gain some water weight and maybe a little bit of weight during that time, and people don't like that. But what happens is it's better to take two steps forward, one step back than what most people are doing where they go four steps forward and then six steps back. Yeah. And so this is the approach that I think we we need to use. And I think it's important to pay attention to quality of food, including some of the things that might be hidden, like these sweeteners. Yeah, absolutely. Now, just to go back to this idea, and I was just talking about this the other day, we've been indoctrinated with this concept of eating three square meals a day, yeah, yeah. right? And we first of all, we've got to understand that our nutritional concepts are largely just invented and they're invented with modern man in mind. And, you know, the, the, the nine to five, the school from, you know, uh, eight in the morning to three in the afternoon, it's kind of based on the structure that the powers that be kind of created for us. And within that three square meals, we're looking at a barrage of a mixture of all those macronutrients, Mm -hmm. right? And you're saying that when we have that complex, barrage of macronutrients altogether. This is one of the things that can kind of gum up our metabolism. And so this is why we're seeing so much success with people shifting gears and doing a higher fat approach. Mm -hmm. Or we've seen success in the past, past decades with some folks shifting gears and doing a higher carbohydrate, higher quality carbohydrate approach. And it worked for some people, Mm -hmm. you know, and both, both things work for some people. But I want to dig a little deeper because I think what I hear you saying is that for all of us, we want to strive to be metabolically flexible so that we can keep our body fresh on using those different energy sources. We just need to structure it different. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I'll use an example. So let's let's use you and me. Right. So um, just so everyone can kind of follow, I'm going to I'm going to give Sean one meal type and I'm going to give myself another meal type. So Sean is going to get the typical in vogue intermittent fasting approach right now. So I'm, we're going to have him skip breakfast and then he's going to do lunch and dinner. Okay. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to do the old bodybuilding approach, the Arnold Schwarzenegger approach, right? Six small mixed meals throughout the day. Wake up at eight. I eat from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., but they're small, frequent meals. Now what's going to happen is you're going to get a lot out of this because your system is going to have a break from food, It's going to get two big mixed meals, but you're going to have a long period of time for the mitochondria to sort of work with that and not get hit again and again and again. Exactly. That funnel is going to have time to drain. Now, me, same thing. So you, we put a bunch in, just fill up the funnel just enough, it drains. We put another meal in, fill up the funnel, it drains. You're fine. Your metabolism goes, this is good. This is working for me. By the way, your hunger, your energy, your cravings, your sleep, your mood will be nice and stable telling you that you're doing well on that approach. For me, it's the same thing. For me, we put in a little bit, it drains. We put in a little bit more, it drains. We put in a little bit more, it drains. So that's the approach. And actually, but there's one other thing that we both have to do. For a little while, that's going to work for Sean. For a little while, that's going to work for me. But the way the metabolism works, it will eventually even adapt to that. And sooner or later, what's going to happen with Sean is those two meals are not going to satisfy him. His workouts in the gym are going to begin to suffer. Then he can benefit from moving to my more frequent eating, and I can benefit from moving to his less frequent eating. So now what we know is, you know how our brains are, Sean. What we do is we like to create dichotomies everywhere. That's what humans do. Ultimately, what this information means for all of us who are trying to live this lifestyle is that we can use both. We just have to remember that Lots of very large meals are the problem. So six large meals, no. Three large meals, 
No. One or two larger meals, probably okay. Six very small meals, probably okay. And then add on top of that, well, I'm going to do single nutrient meals. I'm going to do keto for four weeks. And you're like, well, I'm going to, Jade, I'm going to do a higher carb vegetarian approach for four weeks. And then we're going to switch. We are going to get better results that way by teaching our body, hey, let's run on fat for a little bit. Oh, let's run on carb for a little bit. Oh, let's run on frequent eating for a little bit. Oh, let's run on less frequent eating for a little bit. And now we're creating a metabolism that goes, oh, I can adapt to that. I can adapt to that. I can adapt to that. Instead of doing the eat less, exercise more approach day in and day out, which is probably the only reason it's a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just that we do it for too long. So that's what I mean by metabolic flexibility. So I'll say one more thing here, and then I want to see what you think about this. So this really, to me means that we can really benefit, all of us, from spending times in different metabolic states. Maybe in the winter we do a keto approach. You know, maybe you just got to LA. Let's, let's me and you, let's train, let's eat more, let's just, let's get after it, right? Let's train like an athlete. And let's spend, you know, other times where we're doing lots of fasting. And our bodies and our metabolism will benefit from that. Mm, man, what I'm getting from this is that, and it just makes so much sense, because the kind of just human nature, we don't like to be imprisoned mm -hmm. with any kind of these crazy structures. Like we get very religious with our beliefs about food. Yeah. And that's great because when somebody grabs on to that religion, it's usually because it helped them, you know, for a phase. But at some point it can become a barrier for communication with other people who might be in a different state or a different Agreed. diet or a different tribe. And so this gives us permission to know because that there, there's going to be points in no matter what diet you pick when you want to do something else, right? It's like the, you, you gave that example of the thermos, yeah. you know, and just being on that one track. You're giving us permission to try different things, yeah. but do this intelligently. Like, let's stick with something for a little while. And I think this also creates a level of freedom in our thinking because we know that okay, even though I'm doing this for a while, I get to try something else in a little bit. Yep. Versus like, I have to do this forever or I'm gonna die. Yeah, and, and not only that, what's beautiful about this too is like um, we, as we do this process over and over again, I'm sure you've gotten here naturally and so have I. You get to a natural place yeah. where you go, I know in general what works for me. I also know in general what I want to tolerate. Like for me, I want to have a little pasta and a little bit of wine. So I just tolerate that. My body might not look exactly how I want, but I get to feel the way I feel. I make those sacrifices. Lots of people, though, and I would, I would ask everyone listening to check in with this, do you have that same level of expertise in your own metabolism that Sean and I do? This is hard one, right? It's sort of like that easy as earned process. Like you and I have put in... We put in the miles, we've paid attention, we've probably had periods where we weighed and measured everything, we've been in the gym, we've done, you know, uh, pre-workouts and post-workouts and inter, you know, workout supplements and this supplement and that and different, lots of people have not done that yet. So by exposing yourself to different protocols, each one has something to teach, right? And so you can slowly build your own diet that way. I would say the mistake that a lot of people make is they get, they read the latest book, and to your point, it becomes their new Bible until they read the next book, and then that becomes their new Bible. What I'm saying is make your Bible the idea that I'm gonna try on lots and lots of different things and slowly 
learn my metabolism. Here's what's going to happen in practice, though. I can guarantee some days, you know, because you have kids, I don't. I don't know what that's like. It must be crazy at times. Like you're going through this five week period right now where you just moved here. You got birthdays. You got your 12 year anniversary. It's like a lot of stuff sort of going on. I guarantee that at times you're not going to be able to eat the same every day. So to me, in addition to having your plan A that works mainly for you, you should have a plan B and a plan C. Like for me, I know when I travel, right, I know that that's a different type of eating for me. When I'm home, I actually do really well on just eating when I get hungry. That can happen at 10 a.m. or that can happen at 3 p.m. I just eat my first meal when I'm ready to eat that first meal. But when I travel, I have to eat small, frequent meals because if I don't, I am ravenous by the time I get to where I'm going and I will eat everything in sight. So in addition to slowly finding what works for you, it's also finding multiple things that work for you. Yeah. And one thing about that Matador study that's really interesting, just, just so people can understand, this is a big mistake I think a lot of people make in our, in our field when they, are, when they undergo uh, diet and exercise stuff. These diet breaks are not meant to be um, feasting sessions. They're meant to go back to normal. So when you push your metabolism for two weeks in a deficit, let's say, or a keto diet, right, or something like that, you come back to a normal plan A nutrition. You don't go plan, you know, eat everything in sight. And this is what gets, you know, which really bothers people. So the point uh, that I'm making here is that plan A nutrition becomes a powerful place for you to return to, right, so that you go, this is where I maintain, and then I'll push on my metabolism a little bit with intermittent fasting or a keto diet or a vegetarian diet or whatever it is. And then I come back to plan A, the, the Sean diet, the Jade diet, you know, whatever the listener has decided is their diet. You don't go back to this whole thing where you're overeating. That's the problem that people make. That's the two steps forward, three steps back scenario. Instead of going two steps forward, a half a step back. I think that's the important uh, sort of concept to understand here and just to begin to play around with that. Man, the, I think one of the big issues with it, though, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit, is that we're reluctant to have that half step back or one step back. Yeah. Because, I, again, I just think it's psychological for us. It's uh, number one, it can be a little bit deflating or confusing. Mm -hmm. And number two, it gives an opportunity to quit. Yep. You know, and this speaks to, I mean, we can get into a conversation beyond diet about, you know, resolve and, you know, just a bigger picture thinking, you know, meta-analysis of things. But at the end of the day, I think that we have to be comfortable with uh, not being perfect, mm -hmm. which is tough in and of itself, and also giving ourselves permission to experiment. And the biggest thing that you're sharing today, and I think that, and I've been trying to talk about this in different ways and have different people say it mm -hmm. in a different way, yeah. is that you are unique. And the biggest goal for you with your nutrition is just finding out what works for you, listening to your body, getting in tune with that. And this is something like, I literally have this down, like it's it's like breathing to me, yeah. you know, like I know how stuff feels. Yeah. and it becomes more difficult when other things are happening for sure, just like anybody. But for me, you know, it's like stress and a high stress situation, all the stuff going on. You know how good bread tastes now? <laughs> it, I mean, it tastes good, but now, do you know how good it tastes yeah. now? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like those conditions, your sleep, 
your stress levels and all these different things can make it more difficult to listen to your body. So it's a, it truly is a, a holistic approach. It's not just the food and paying attention to how it makes you feel, but putting yourself in a right state so that you can actually hear these signals from your body. Yeah, and not only that, when this is the, this is the, I agree with everything you just said, and then I'll throw another wrench into the mix here to bother the listeners and bother you and I. But you and all, you and I also know it will change. Too. So that's another thing about the metabolism that people don't understand. Not only will you have to have times where you, you kind of slide back, but the, what worked for you. So Sean and I are in a groove a little bit, right? You know, where we, we know what works for us right now. But I'll tell you what was working for me in my 30s does not work for me in my 40s. You know, and so for me, it's a whole different ballgame and I had to figure it out again. And, you know, women in particular have this happen because they, they know this because with menses, their metabolism changes within the month. Us dudes don't figure that out. So a lot of my clients even have a different way of eating for the first half of their menstrual cycle versus the second half of their menstrual cycle. You go through pregnancy. Things are going to change. We go through andropause and menopause. Things change. The great thing about this approach is that you learn a process along the way that you can repeat when the metabolism changes. So there's this false idea that I'm supposed to find the diet and once I do, then I just stay with that diet, right? What we're, what you and I are saying is you don't find a diet, you create it, but you still can't stay there. You might have to create it again. So in your lifetime, you're probably gonna have to create diets that work for you every three to five years or so as your metabolism changes as an, and it ages. One of the things I just recently saw a, a recent study looking at menopausal women, and essentially those women were basically shown that they, regardless of how active they are and everything else, and this makes sense, you'll kind of be like, yeah, no duh, Jade, but what they, they, are, they are more insulin resistant as a result of just aging, despite how much they move and everything else. And you can look at the carbohydrate meals, if you give them a standard dose, a 40-year-old woman versus a 60-year-old woman, a standard dose of carbohydrate, you will see on average that the glucose response and insulin response is far higher in those 60-year-old women looking even, you know, uh, looking at activity levels and equating for age and body composition and all that kind of stuff. So then we have to say, okay, well, that approach means that menopausal women and maybe, you know, uh, andropausal men necessarily have to go to a slightly lower carbohydrate diet. So maybe they have to more attend to carbohydrates more than calories more now. And this is a game that we will play throughout our lives if we want to, you know, sort of stay in shape. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about since that the topic came up of about kind of cross training mm -hmm. your cycle for yeah. women and yeah. just understanding truly because you know there's there are these big cultural understandings about cravings and different things like yeah. that. And it's like, it's, it's, it's a joke, yeah. but the reality is your body is really changing and your metabolism is adjusting each month. Yeah, yeah, well, here, here's the interesting thing. Estrogen and progesterone, the female sex steroids, are just, I think, uh, they're amazing in what they do. And the best way to think of them, the easiest way, not to give everyone a biochemistry lesson, is think of them about as two twin sisters, but not identical sisters. So they're twins, but they're not identical. And estrogen is the twin who's like, She's a little rambunctious. She's adventurous. She is powerful. She just pushes forward. She's like ready to go, right? She's like, go, 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 let's do it. So when estrogen is dominating in a woman, she feels very stable. She is more insulin sensitive, which means that she gains more muscle and less fat when she's in calorie surplus. And it also means that when she's in calorie deficit, she burns more fat and less muscle. So estrogen is sort of this building 
sort of hormone. And this makes sense because what the, the female metabolism is literally like, is it safe and appropriate to have a baby? That's literally what it's programmed to do. So estrogen is about let's build up for the first two weeks. We're going to build up the system. Progesterone is sort of the worried, anxious, you know, sort of on edge sister. Let's leave some food around for a potential baby. Let's be careful. Let's not overexert ourselves. So after ovulation, when progesterone starts to dominate, the female becomes less insulin sensitive. And this makes sense too, right? Because insulin drives nutrients into our into the, the body, into the cells. Progesterone goes, let's be more insulin resistant, right? So that we can leave some food for a potential baby that comes along. The, the metabolism smart that way. And so you have this dual approach. So what that means for a woman is she can train harder, eat more carbs, tolerate more calories when when there's estrogen around from the first day of bleeding to ovulation. But then from ovulation to menses again, this is a time where she might want to chill out, not train as hard, cut carbohydrates down a little bit and, you know, spend more time doing yoga and meditating and taking long walks versus crushing it, you know, in the gym. And this this is a very nice way for women to sort of do this. And then you alluded to this right at menses, both estrogen and progesterone fall pretty drastically. What's really interesting about this is that is very much like if any young woman wants to know what the hormonal state of menopause is, well, every time you have menses, you're essentially in a mini menopause. And at that point, you have receptors for estrogen and progesterone all over your body, including in the brain. Progesterone impacts GABA. So to remember GAB, ah, it's the relaxing neurotransmitter. So without progesterone, you start getting kind of anxious. And estrogen has to do with dopamine. Uh, production and serotonin production, which is sort of this focus and just I love life. And that's why she's the sister of sort of like, let's go out and just attack life. And so at that point in time, you have to be very careful because when those brain chemicals drop, all of a sudden you're going to potentially want cravings and have cravings for sweets. And you're going to want to feed those brain chemicals in other ways. One beautiful thing actually that can help with this, and you mentioned it, curcumin can help with this Cocoa can help with this. We have lots of herbs that can actually bolster some of the negative brain effects as progesterone and estrogen fall off. And by the way, not to not to leave you men out of the discussion, when testosterone levels fall, we get some of the same thing. And of course, women have a testosterone peak right around ovulation. And you also have a testosterone unmasking right around menses. This is why sometimes a female libido will rise at ovulation and also rise at menses because at ovulation, testosterone goes up, makes sense, time to have sex, right? You just released an egg. And then it's, there's an unmasking of testosterone when estrogen and progesterone fall at the end. They also can get sort of an increase in libido. So it's a very interesting science here. But the point then goes back to what you and I were talking about. You can live two different sort of states here and understand that your metabolic flexibility changes based on these hormones so you can now change your approach if that makes sense and hopefully that's not too complicated for everybody it's beautiful fascinating fascinating stuff and next up we're going to talk about how your body actually burns fat how does your body do the process and we're going to do that right after this quick break so sit tight we'll be right back today we're in the midst of a new revolution with our understanding of food we used to just be focused on this macronutrient paradigm proteins fats, carbohydrates. Carbohydrates and proteins got a pretty good name, but fats were drugged through the mud. Why is that? Because it's called fat, all right? The name implies something different than the other two. 
Because when we hear the word fat, we think about fat on our bodies. Fat in food and fat in our bodies are two totally different things. And it's like thinking, if I eat blueberries, I'm going to turn blue. When you think that eating fat is going to turn you fat. It just doesn't work like that. And any of those three macronutrients can actually put fat on your body if you eat too much or the wrong types. Healthy fats, which I'm proposing that we start to call lipids or even energy, are incredibly important for every single function in your body. Your cells, every single cell in your body, we have upwards of 100 trillion cells that make you up, require fats to just maintain the integrity of your cell membranes. We're talking about the thing that holds your cells together and enables your cells to communicate. It's very important. Also your brain, your brain is mostly fat and water. This is why fats are so important. When you're deficient in fats, especially the right kinds of fats, you can see some big issues. So in order to address that, some of my favorite things today are MCT oils. And specifically, if we look at emulsified MCT oils that actually taste amazing. And these are medium chain triglyceride oils that are extracted from things like coconut or palm. And these medium chain triglycerides have a thermogenic effect on the body, which means they are able to positively alter your metabolism. All right, that's number one, thermogenic effect from MCT oils, positively altering your metabolism. Number two, MCTs are more easily absorbed by your cells. So unlike conventional food of any type that has to go through a pretty arduous process of digestion, turning that food stuff into you stuff, MCTs are able to go directly to your cells and provide almost instant energy. And number three, MCT oils are very protective of your microbiome. There's so much research today about the importance of having a healthy microbiome and the integrity of our gut. MCT oils are one of those things that help to support that because they're especially effective at combating viruses, parasites, bacteria. There's so much goodness that is able to be found in these MCT oils, but you want to get the good stuff. And for me, that's why I go to onit.com forward slash model. That's O-N-N-I-T.com forward slash M-O-D-E-L to get the emulsified MCT oils, which is like a coffee creamer. These are great to add to your coffees and teas, smoothies and things like that to get in a little bit of extra flavor plus all the benefits of MCT oils. They're easy to stir so you don't have to throw everything into a blender just to get a nice coffee drink, but also they taste good and they make the process of being healthy, fun and enjoyable. So head over, check them out. They've got vanilla, coconut, cinnamon swirl, and strawberry. It's one of my favorites. So go to onit.com forward slash model for 10% off your entire purchase, not just for the MCT oil, but all of the health and human performance supplements that Onit carries and all of their fitness equipment, gear, and so much other cool stuff. All right, head over there, check them out, onit.com forward slash model. Now back to the show. All right, we're back and we're talking with one of my good friends, Dr. Jay Tita. And before the break, I mentioned we're going to talk about how does your body actually burn fat for fuel? You know, we know about all these different diets. We know about this concept of burning fat, but how does your body actually do the process? And I know that you shared there's four stages mm -hmm. to this process. It didn't just like your body just grabs fat and just burns it. It disappears into the ether. Yep, yep. There's four steps to the process. Yeah, well, and, and, and actually, once we understand these four steps, you'll sort of understand why people have such a hard time burning it because we have to have, uh, we have to be very clear about sort of um, the steps and understanding them. So let's go through them one by one. To burn fat, the first part is you have to release that fat from a fat cell. 
That is not fat being burned yet. And this is why it's important because a lot of people will be like, oh, well, this supplement helps you burn fat or you should do fasting exercise because you'll burn fat. Or if you're stressed out and you release the stress hormones, you'll release a lot of fat. That doesn't mean just because fat is released, it doesn't mean it will be burned. And this is the first sort of thing that people don't understand. It can get restored. Mm. And this happens a lot in the day. If you're sitting around and your boss comes in and yells at you or you almost get in a car accident, you will release some of these stress hormones that will release fat. Cortisol is one of them, by the way. A lot of people don't know that. And then, though, if you don't use that up, that fat will just get restored. So that's the first step. The second step is this fat then has to be taken from that area where it's released and shuttled to, through the blood, to the working muscles or the tissue that is going to use that fat for energy. So blood flow has an awful lot to do with this. So this is why movement can actually be critical because that speeds up sort of blood flow. Um, but the next step is the idea of that fat now getting into the other cell, into the muscle cell, which has an awful lot to do with how insulin sensitive you are and uh, you know um, how, how those membranes and that cell architecture, how healthy it is. And then the final step is that fat actually getting broken down, and we talked about this in the beginning, into acetyl-CoA, which then flows through the Krebs cycle, goes into the electron transport chain, and then essentially when you breathe out CO2, you're essentially breathing out your fat. You're also making water in that process as well. So the end result is literally CO2 and water, but it is this sort of process of release, blood flow, entry, and then lipid oxidation is the final step. So think about all the places where that can get slowed down in the body. And a lot of people don't understand that. One of my pet peeves is we oftentimes talk about lipolysis, which is the release of fat as fat as lipid oxidation or fat burning. And they're not the same thing. So people get confused with this because they're like, well, I re I'm releasing fat from, you know, sort of exercise or I'm not right. eating and I might be releasing fat. Um, but you're not necessarily burning that fat. And that's yeah. an important you know, concept to understand. Yeah. I want to share this with everybody because this is something I found is a valuable tool for myself as far as exercise is concerned. And you obviously are just an expert in that domain. You've been lifting weights for how many years? Yeah, man. It's been since 11 years old, man. Man. <laughs> so like you, you've got a lot of just rep, literally reps under your belt yeah. and understanding this stuff. But you mentioned how, you know, just getting that surge of stress hormones, mm -hmm like adrenaline, like cortisol, these can go and cleave off and create this lipolysis effect, right? Mm -hmm. So fat is getting released to be used, yeah. but it can also circulate and get reabsorbed. Yeah. And so one of the things, you know, high intensity interval training is obviously one of the most popular forms of exercise now. It took us long enough yeah, yeah. to figure this out, but again, you can release a lot of the fat but it can get reabsorbed. Yeah. And so this is why, so it's a two-step process for me, and this is just, I'm just wanting to share this with you guys. If you do high-intensity interval training, which literally can take you 10 minutes, mm -hmm. leave some time to go for a long walk yeah, afterwards. Agreed, yeah. Right? So your body, because you're shifting gears, when you're walking, your body is much more, has a much bigger propensity to go and use stored fat for fuel. Yeah. And so now you've released a lot of this stored fat through the HIIT training and then going for a walk afterwards. It's just a really great one-two punch. So I wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, agreed a thousand percent. And I also think it's also brings up another question about training is that a lot of people like in fasted training, right? It's sort of the same thing. So to me, walking is, and it's funny that we, we talk about walking now because if you had told my 20-year-old some self that I'd be advocating walking, I'd be like, that does nothing. But you're absolutely right. Walking is... Um, 
to me, the most critical aspect of fat loss for all the reasons you just said, and also because it is the only one of the only forms of exercise that actually controls cortisol levels and insulin levels at the same time. Um, so it has a, both a hormonal effect and a slight calorie sort of burning effect, but it's also something we can do all day, every day, and we're built to do. So we're not built to run. We are built to walk, though. So if you compare people who sit all day versus people who, and then go work out, versus people who move all day but never work out, the people who move all day are probably going to end up being leaner and healthier. So to me, it's critical. And, you know, if someone had to say, it's funny you brought that up because if someone said, Jade, what's the one thing that you could tell me about working out that would make the biggest difference. And I would be like, honestly, do your workout, but spend a lot more time walking. And it's just like you, first thing, fasted in the morning if you want to do that, but after your workouts, a nice long walk. Yeah, man, same here. Like when I was in college, if I was to tell myself, I, I wouldn't have slapped myself, you know, just saying that I'm going to walk to lose weight, mm -hmm. but I would have like really given myself a good shake. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Same. Just like, what do you do? It, it just didn't make sense to me, yeah. you know, that that would be something. And I would see people like consistently, like people would even come into to the gym. I ended up working with that. They've lost, you know, 50 pounds and they're just walking. Yeah. And it just didn't make sense. I'm just like, it's going to take you a long time. They're making changes to their metabolism as well. Yeah. Like going back to what you talked about in the beginning with that um, metabolic congestion that can take place. Yeah. Walking is such a uh, a heal healing factor. Yeah. And actually, you know, uh, that, it brings up another point that is one thing that I can, I think, uh, will maybe be a new concept, not for you, but for a lot of your listeners. And that is the concept of metabolic prehab. So we all know sort of this concept of, you know, prehabbing. Athletes will prehab before they go into the season or have spring training or something like that to get their, their physical body ready for the training season. In the end, what we need is sort of this prehab system for our metabolism as well. And walking is the best thing for that. So the idea that you're going to take a couch potato and make them sort of a cross-fitting paleo person like in one week is an issue, right? We all yeah, see that in yeah. the spring, all these people out there running like crazy. And they we don't see them three days later because they've injured themselves and they feel horrible. So to me, walking is a critical path to prehab. And just real quick, the, the prehab has to do with, one, getting the brain correct, the hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal, thyroid, and gonadal axis. And this has an awful lot to do with stress reduction. So this would be time in the sauna, um, time, uh, you know, walking is another way to lower stress, time with family, creative pursuits, anything that lowers stress. Number two is gut function. This would be lots of fiber, cleaning up the diet, decreasing a lot of these heavy uh, foods that mix carbs, fat, and alcohol, and all that kind of stuff. Number three is sort of the mitochondria, this idea that we are going to put nutrients in place to support um, the mitochondrial health. Walking actually does all of those, right? So walking actually will prime the brain, takes some of the stress off the hypothalamus. It will actually balance the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, taking some of the stress off the GI system. And it will actually uh, help the mitochondria do their job better through aerobic respiration. And so to me, when I think of metabolic prehab, now my prehab protocols 
deal with like things like curcumin and other things as well, but walking is the thing. So I don't take anyone who hasn't done anything for a long time and stick them in the gym doing high intensity interval training and, you know, uh, CrossFit style circuits. I go, you're going to walk, you're going to start fasting 12 to 16 hours per, per day. Most people just 12 because they can't go to 16. Their metabolism is too inflexible or rigid to do that. And you're going to take some of these supplements, add some water in, and we're going to do that for about four weeks before we now put you into some of the training protocols. Because it really is flexibility. If you think about think about a, a, a cold, frozen rubber band that you try to you know stretch, it's going to snap. So you want to warm that up slowly. And walking is critical for that as well. So it's hugely important. Yeah. This is a good segue into um, one of the last things I want to ask you about. And man, I've just seen so many people get hung up on this and just truly not embodying it because it for for us with our with our mindset today of like I have to do something in order to get something, mm-hmm. you know I've got to work harder on my diet, I've got to work harder in the gym. To understand that your stress level can actually inhibit your ability to lose fat yeah. and can even add fat. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the impact that stress has on the body when we're talking about our metabolism. It's huge. And I think for people like you and me, it's um, one of those things that you the more you look into the literature and the more clinical experience you have, the more you become convinced that this is everything. And by the way, everyone can kind of do this. I mean, I, I don't know. In clinic, I will oftentimes see someone change their diet around, and I'm doing blood sugar levels first thing in the morning, and you'll see high blood sugars or their hemoglobin A1C, a marker for those of you who are listening don't know that of average blood sugar over three-month period of time, is high despite the fact that they've cut carbs or cut down calories. This is what cortisol and stress does. It will essentially say, I need this fuel, and it basically doesn't allow you to then burn it. So it will release it like we talked about, but it won't allow us to burn that fuel because Cortisol will make you more insulin resistant. Cortisol will also make you, shuts down the motivation centers in the brain, increases the reward centers of the brain, so it makes you crave things as well. So it's, it is one of these things that does everything possible to um, counteract a starvation response because as far as our metabolism is concerned, we have an ancient program in us. We might live in the modern day, but our ancient program says resist starvation. And stress, so any kind of stress, this is what is horrible about this, any kind of stress we're under usually triggers the starvation response, which is going to be release some of our stored fuel, get a whole bunch more fuel on top of that, and be craving like crazy and regulate our energies, uh, you know, make it unpredictable and unstable. And so we then go, well, then all I need to do is just try harder, eat less, exercise more, or um, do the paleo thing or go work out. And what I'm saying is you have to move into a woo-saw state, right? It's sort Mm -hmm. of like rest and relaxation. So to me, for many, many people who are dealing with this, an hour in bed is better than an extra hour in the treadmill. And time in the sauna um, relaxing is better than time in the CrossFit gym. Creative pursuits are going to be something that is going to be more beneficial to lower stress than, um, you know, being out there jogging, uh, you know, uh, for an hour during the day. It's critical. And the science, there's a bunch of science we can talk about. You wrote one of my favorite books on sleep that this is the major 
reason sleep is so powerful, like you you know all the science behind it, it does everything. Part of the reason is because it's the major break, takes the break off of sort of our ability to rest and recover. Stress is essentially pushing against that. So sleep is critical in that regard. Absolutely. Dalai Lama said sleep is the best form of meditation. Yep. You know, <laughs> Love and that. man, it's just, it's so remarkable. And I'm so grateful because today we have some of the science behind it, because I know a lot of listeners were very analytical and science minded. We want to, we need some proof yep. to listen because there's a statement of something being counterintuitive. That sounds counterintuitive, but even within those words, intuitive it's not counterintuitive because your intuition knows you need to take your ass to sleep. Yeah. You know, your, your intuition knows you need to slow down instead of trying to go faster. Yeah. Your intuition knows that, you know, it's addressing the lifestyle factors of, you know, the context of your relationship or your work life. Those are the things potentially that are holding you back from the body changes. Yeah. You know, I know many of folks who, you know, they're even at a level of fitness, their abs start getting a little blurry when they start getting too stressed. Mm -hmm. And giving yourself permission, because like you just mentioned, we can be doing, struggling with this stuff, and then we think we need to diet harder. But the reality is that diet is adding another level of stress, Yeah, you know? And so getting ourselves, and this is the great thing about this, I'm so grateful for having you on today, is getting ourselves to this place where we have permission to be flexible in our diet and understand that our, our metabolism can become flexible and our lifestyle overall. And so, man, this has just been super fascinating, enlightening. And we gotta have you back on, of course, talk yeah. about more stuff. I got like 20 other questions for you, but can you let everybody know where they can connect with you online? Yeah, best place to get me is probably right now, like Instagram is still the place. So I always say that, I'm like, uh, if you DM me, I'll do my best to get you know back to you with questions, but at Jade Tita on Instagram and then jadetita.com. And I love you, man. Thank you for your work. I love you too, dude. Thank you so much. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning into the show today. Make sure to go follow Jade over on Instagram. It's at Jade Tita. That's J-A-D-E-T-E-T-A. -E -E All right. So much good stuff. And, um, you know, today there's so many different aspects of this, but the biggest one for me personally is understanding that we need to adapt. You know, there's going to come a time and a place, no matter where you are on your fitness journey, your quote fitness journey, your nutrition journey, that things are going to change. And you've got to give yourself permission to change because what's working for you right now might not work for you in the near future. And that's all good because it gives us the opportunity to try new stuff, to experiment, to read another book, but we're doing it from a different place. We're doing it from a place of discovery and enlightenment versus I have to, right? And so it's just a simple shift in mindset. And I think that for me, starting this episode off and talking about the stress that I'm experiencing, I've been more prone right now, and I'm noticing myself being drawn towards foods that I normally wouldn't eat because of the level of stress, right? One of the biggest things, and you can do this check-in for yourself, the, the only time that I'm really hungry in, in the morning is when I didn't get a good night's sleep, right? So there's so many different factors in this equation, but learning how our body actually burns fat today, learning that we have so much opportunity to try different diets and marrying it all together with our lifestyle factors to take care of our sleep, to take care of our, our movement, adding in more walking. These are all simple things that we can do, but you don't need to do them all. Just choose one and start to get good at it. All right. So, and definitely remember that tip that I shared. If you are doing HIIT training, uh, adding in some of that just kind of slow, relaxing walking at the end, leave yourself time for that. And 
For me personally, again, another reason that walking was, I didn't feel was productive is that it takes time to do that. You can leverage that time. This could be a good time to listen to a podcast, have a conversation with a friend, hang out. Uh, you, you can do meetings, walking meetings. We might do that right now. We might go walk and talk. It's actually really nice outside. So um, just find out how these things can fit into your life and make sure to share this with the people that you care about as well. So tag me, tag Jade over on Instagram and let us know what you thought about the episode. I appreciate you so very much. We got some powerhouse stuff coming up, so be ready. Take care, have an amazing day, and I'll talk to you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.